Let's open our Bibles now, continue this love fest in Romans 6, beginning in verse 15. That's our text, down into verse 23, Lord willing. How many of you remember the advertising motto for Outback Steakhouse? Eric, do you remember? You going to tell me or are you just going <laughs> to... No rules, just right. That's, that's their, I don't know if they're still using that. I doubt they do because I think if you try going to your local outback and order and eat a meal and then try to leave without paying for it, you'll find out that there are some rules uh, about what goes on. You might say that no rules, just right is wrong. Now, in a sense, that was what the critics of the Apostle Paul were saying. They understood his emphasis on the grace of God to mean that there were no rules. And thus everything was right, meaning for them that you just end up doing whatever you wanted to do, which would be to uh, sin uh, terribly against the Lord. And so, so they said, look, Paul, if, if you're going to emphasize grace and not have rules and follow the law, people are going to be given over to sin. So the question is, does emphasizing grace over rules and rites and rituals and regulations really open the door to all manner of sin? That's our subject as we close out Romans 6. Verse 15, What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. The chapter opened with a similar question. The Jews and other critics of Paul claimed that his emphasis upon the grace of God would open the door to sinful living. Paul meets this criticism head on. Grace opens the door to all manner of godly living. We're set free to serve the Lord, not to sin against Him. Pastor David Guzik explains it like this. He says, God has made us safe for grace by changing us as we receive God's grace. He sets us free and equips us to live righteously before Him. Since we have died to sin, it is unthinkable that we could continue our former habitual practice of sin. Once the caterpillar has been made a butterfly, the butterfly has no business crawling around on trees and leaves like a caterpillar again. Illustrations can be really helpful in discussing spiritual truths. Slavery was a reality in first century Rome. Uh, I, I believe the majority of the people in the Roman Empire were in the category of slaves. Paul's readers would immediately relate to it as an illustration. And so in verse 16 he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You are constituted in such a way that you must present yourselves slaves to a master. Uh, we talked about this at length, uh, I believe, last week. Uh, we're not really free. We're only free to serve someone. Uh, and that's what Paul is building on here. Now, in your natural state, you were a slave who presented yourself to sin leading to death. In other words, you were a sinner by nature and by choice whose ultimate destiny was death, meaning separation from God for eternity. That's the human condition that we were all born into. When you get saved, you're still a slave, but now your master is God. Because he is your master, when you present yourself to him, you find yourself walking by obedience leading to righteousness. I think by that Paul means that you find yourself walking in obedience because it's what pleases God. 
your master, to do so. You want to obey him, and that's a better motivation than having to obey him. I think if you're a parent, you understand this. You want your children to obey you because it's the right thing to do and because they love you. Uh, they, you know, if, if all the time you're making them obey you, they're kind of missing the point. That's, it has to be done, but I think you understand. And so the Lord is saying, hey, I have made it so that you will want to obey me. I am now your master. God has made you safe to be motivated by grace by changing you and giving you a new nature. And so in verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. God be thanked because salvation is His free gift to us. And we should be grateful. We did not and could not earn it. While we were yet slaves of sin, ungodly, God saved us. Jesus' death on the cross redeemed us from slavery to sin as he paid the price necessary to set us free. We saw on Sunday the Lord speaking of how he gave his life, a ransom for many, really a ransom for all, a sufficient price to buy us out of slavery. And so we're to be grateful to God for his salvation. It says here that it was obeyed from the heart. That's just a way of describing faith. It's kind of, a, I, I say, a poetic or a romantic way of describing faith. We obeyed from the heart. You're saved by believing. You believe God and then He declares you righteous. These are things Paul has been going over for the last several chapters. And he says you obey that form of doctrine. First, of course, this means in general the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, in the normal course of events, in saving someone, someone is exposed to the Word of God and the Word of God is used to uh, bring them to saving faith. Uh, but that's just the beginning because God's word continues to affect you. This word form, it's a very interesting word, it, it is used to uh, talk about castings into which molten metal was poured. And so he's saying that after you are saved, you go on to be cast into a mold or cast into an image. Whose image do you think that is? Well, after you're saved, we'll get later in Romans, it'll say that you are predestined to be conformed to be molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. That's our predestination. We're saved, and then after that, God says, now I have begun a good work in you, I'm going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You are predestined now to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ. And uh, that work is ongoing, and it's different in each of our lives. Uh, as much as I want to compare myself to others, uh, and, you know, of course, the others I compare myself to are always those that are better off than me. I never compare myself to somebody who's worse off than me because I don't want to be worse off than me. I'm already bad enough. And so I look at others and I think God is being unfair because he's not taking them through this trial or that trial. and Everything seems easy for them and those kinds of things. Uh, but the truth is, uh, if I quit looking at others and just think about myself, God is casting me into a mold and he knows my heart. It's a unique heart. It's not like anyone else's heart. Uh, and, and yours is the same way, and he is shaping and molding and patterning us in a certain way by the circumstances of our life in order to make us look more like Jesus Christ and to react more like Jesus Christ and to just be more like the Lord. And in our better moments, that's what we want. We really do want to be like the Lord. We want to be Christian in the truest sense of that word, Christ-like. Uh, and so that's what the Lord is doing. So we're saved by that form of doctrine, 
hearing of the Word of God, and then we begin to be shaped and molded. And we've been talking about how we cooperate with this process. This is the process now of sanctification, of setting us apart, of changing us day by day into the image of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, it's possible to be set free, but still think and live like a slave. I've been trying to appeal to the more modern analogy of a lifetime prisoner who's set free and then just wants to get back to prison uh, because that's the, the only life they've known. Uh, and, and so, uh, it, you know, you can be delivered but want to go back to those old things. But instead, Paul says you've been set free and should now be a slave of righteousness. Remember, he's, ar- he's answering this argument that if you tell people there's no rules and ask them to walk by grace, they're going to sin like crazy. And Paul's going to show us that, no, you're going to want to be a slave of righteousness now. You've been set free to serve someone else. As Christians, we should be yearning for and learning more about the righteousness of God. Why would we want to go back to the prison of sin? I mean, from, from where we're at, some of you have had some experience with jails and prisons, and I would say in this group, most of us, if not all of us, would say, yeah, I don't want to go back to prison. I don't want to go to jail. I, I, as hard as it out, is maybe out in the world, I don't, want, I don't feel comfortable back there, and so I don't want to go back. And this is the attitude that we should have about our old life. We should think, wow, you know, God delivered me from those things. Why would I want to go back and live there when there's so much for me uh, in the life that He has called me to? Grace definitely does not lead you to sin. At least that's what Paul is teaching. You may choose to sin, but that's not the fault of God's grace. Uh, And if you try and put yourself under God's law... Uh, you're going to sin all the more because it has no power to help you. At least walking by grace, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit to convince and convict you of righteousness. Kenneth Wiest, who's a really cool Greek scholar, I, I love his stuff, he says, because of the frailty of man, the Christian at infrequent intervals does yield to sin. But the point is, God has so constituted him now that he need not do so. And so Paul is arguing that, yes, God saved you as a sinner by grace, but He also changed you. He indwelt you. And so now you're different and you can be safe for grace as a motivation. He doesn't have to give you a list of rules and rights and rituals and regulations because you're going to want to walk by grace. Jesus Christ tells us to no longer behave as if we were slaves to sin. To use the prison analogy, if I'm released from prison, I don't live there anymore. I have to find new digs. You know, I can't just go knock on the prison door and say, hey, I'm here, I just need a place to stay tonight. I mean, no, you've been, that's it, you, you, you've been set free. And uh, it, the analogy breaks down because we can go back to prison. Uh, Paul is saying, though you can sin, you can't really go back to just having the old nature. The old nature has been killed, you have a new nature, you have to understand that this is the direction that God wants you to walk in. And then in verse 19 he says, I speak in human terms. Because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. I think Paul is saying that in using the illustration of slave and master, he's speaking, of course, in human terms. He's trying to take a spiritual truth and and make it viable in, in human terms. 
using a familiar illustration. He seems a little apologetic in that many of his readers were still slaves of their Roman masters. But at the same time, that's precisely why the illustration was so powerful. Everybody would relate to it. Uh, we talked about on Sunday how when we talk about when Jesus mentions the word ransom or we see the word ransom in Scripture, we kind of understand it. We know what it means intellectually, but we don't have a real... It doesn't have any real impact on us the way it does on most of the rest of the world. We talked about kidnappings and, and ransom kidnappings and slavery and this kind of thing. And So when Paul's talking about slavery, most of the people in his Sunday night audience that are listening to this message as the church would gather there in Rome... Most of them were slaves, and they could relate to this point by point and say, well, sure, yeah, that's right. If I were set free from my master, I certainly wouldn't want to go back and serve him. I'd, I'd want to experience a, a free life. And in that same way, having been set free from sin, I, I, it's not a guarantee that I'll continue in it. Because I'm walking in grace. Quite the opposite is true. And so what we struggle with, I read all these commentaries and I struggle to, to explain this. This would have been immediately understood by the first century Christian. They would say, oh yeah, what are you t- that's a great illustration. Who, what slave would want to continue to be a slave to that master, that forward master, when he could be a slave to this great master? Yeah, now I get it. That's a stupid thing to say that grace is going to lead you to sin. It's not going to lead you to sin any more than, uh, hey, I, guess what? I just got set free from a terrible master. I think I'll find a worse master. Because I love being a, a slave that gets beat up all the time and incarcerated and, and doesn't have enough food. That's, that's where I really live. That's my whole thing. And They would say, oh, now I understand. Grace is grace. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And, and, and we need to believe that as well. Before our conversion, we surrendered our bodies as slaves of all kinds of uncleanness and to one kind of wickedness after another. Most of us can relate to that, uh, especially if you were saved later in life. In a minute, he's going to talk about things you were ashamed of, and many uh, there are many things like that for sure. Now we should dedicate our same bodies as slaves of righteousness so that our lives would be holy. God's purpose in setting you free from sin is not to give you the freedom to do as you please. It is to give you true freedom, which is to do as He pleases, which is for you to live right and become more and more like Jesus. And so it's very simple. Paul says, no, God sets you free and He casts you into a mold and you're predestined to become like Christ. You're to cooperate with that work. And so it's kind of weird that you would even suggest that you'd continue in your sin. And we would say that a person who thinks they've been set free to continue to sin is probably not a Christian. That person probably wasn't saved by grace, not the grace of God. And so verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regards to righteousness. Now, most people think themselves basically good or at least more good than bad. If they fall into bad behavior, they might seek reformation of some kind. And so, you know, you're not going to find too many people who think they're perfect, but most of the people that we deal with think they're they're pretty good. And they get offended when you start talking to them about sin. And uh, I think a few weeks ago we talked about how, you know, you tell people the wages of sin is death and that they're sinners. One approach might be to ask them if they think they're going to die. Do you think one day you might die? And the answer of course is yes. Death is pretty much 100% across the board unless you get into some freaky sci-fi phase uh, or you get raptured. And if you're a non-believer, you're not really looking forward to the rapture. And so death is 100% reality. And then the idea... So 
where does death come from? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so our answer to that, you know, death came in because of sin. And so if you're going to die, it, it proves that you're a sinner because that's what happens to sinners. And, uh, and, and that's, uh, it's an approach that might work. It might not. I don't know. But, it, uh, you know, sin is, is the thing that we're dealing with. And so it's true that most people are decent and honest and law-abiding and helpful, and they might even be religious. But apart from grace, they're totally separated from God's standard of righteousness. They can't live up to perfection. And so they are free in regard to righteousness means they were unable to achieve it. You might say the only freedom a sinner knows is freedom from righteousness. It's the one thing that they're free from because they can't achieve it. Everything else they're given to. Verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Paul was speaking to folks who had converted to Christ later in life. uh, And uh, he says here that you have fruit from your former life to be ashamed of. Uh, Of course, we don't want to dwell on that. It's just a reality. Uh, We don't talk about being ashamed very much anymore. Um, we've been through so many scandals and so many things are reported and brought out that it's really difficult to have a sense of shame. Almost nobody is ashamed of of anything anymore. Uh, I remember, regardless of the politics of this, and and I, I probably shouldn't talk to this too much, but the thing I remember about Bill Clinton's impeachment trial is his really uh, belligerent attitude after it was over, that it was wrong and a political football and all this kind of stuff. And there was no sense of being ashamed of what he had done uh, in front of the entire country. Uh, and and uh, it, brought a, it brought a kind of a new immorality to light in, in our country where people just aren't ashamed of anything anymore. Uh, and so Paul says... You, you've been saved, especially later in life. You, you had fruit. You, what fruit did you have in those things? It was terrible that you were ashamed of, and the end of those things was death. Realize the end of those things was death. I, again, I don't want to dwell on those things. This would be a perfect place to talk about, you know, where everybody gives their testimony and talks about how they were the worst this or the worst that. And I have trouble with that sometimes because. There's a fine line between glorifying God and and really glorifying our past life, you know. And uh, you know, it, it gives the impression that you had to be the grossest possible sinner for God to want to save you. Uh, and you know, all of us are sinners that God saves. And so, but still, we have things to be ashamed of, and they would have led to death. And so, you know, think of some of your former habits, and you know, uh, some of you with addictions and habits that literally would have led to death. Uh, many of you at death's door as a result of some of the things that were happening in your life. But all of us would have died in our sins. Why would a person choose to yield their body back to sin leading to death from which they've been delivered? They wouldn't, or at least they shouldn't. And again, a slave would dial into this and say, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. I understand that. There's no way I'm going back to my uh, master, my cruel master, after I've been set free. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Again, Paul stresses you've been set free from sin. 
something that has already been accomplished. You're not working towards it. It was done for you on the cross. We're in that section, remember, where we're talking about reckoning this to be so and then presenting our bodies to the Lord. We're to know that we died with Christ, that our sin was crucified on the cross, then we're to reckon that, we're to account that as true, and then we are to present ourselves to the Lord. Likewise, it says we have become slaves of God. Perhaps this example will help. God's people were once literally slaves in Egypt, and then he delivered them. When God was talking to Pharaoh through Moses, through Aaron, which was kind of a, uh, you know, we play the telephone game. Uh, You ever do that, you know, where you tell somebody something and they tell somebody something? And so I'm glad that these guys got it right. Because God was, you know, remember Moses, he said, you know, he had a speech impediment or he thought he couldn't talk. And so God said, all right, Aaron can speak for you. And so God had to talk to Aaron who talked to Moses, or to Moses who talked to Aaron. And so it was kind of crazy. But he told Pharaoh through those guys, I want you to let my people go so they may serve me in the wilderness. He didn't say, I want you to let them go so they can just scatter and, you know, go to the Mediterranean coast and go visit Rome. Or, and he said, I want you to set them free because they're going to serve me in the wilderness. They'd become God's willing slaves. You're free, but only in terms of whom you choose to serve. We are now a willing slave of God. You can't wait for him to tell you what to do. Uh, maybe we've kind of moved away from this. We've got, if you've been a Christian for a long time, sadly, sometimes you get kind of crusty. But I remember when I first got saved, the Lord told you to forgive people you've held grudges against for years, and you did it. You sought them out. You, you couldn't wait to forgive them because you knew it was, it was the right thing to do and you wanted to please the Lord. He told you to remain patient in your trouble and you settled into them. You were excited about your troubles. You, you thought, man, really, Lord? You've given me trouble. You must love me. Pile it on. And, and, and then he tells you to serve others and you roll up your sleeves. There's nothing more exciting than a brand new Christian. I mean, you can tell them to do almost anything and they'll do it. You have to be careful with brand new Christians. They're just crazy like that because they have that immediate... You know what I mean? It's like, well, I've been set free from... from the, look at all the terrible fruit in my life. I've wasted most of my life and, and I'm ashamed of everything I've ever did and I want to serve the Lord. How do I serve the Lord? Well, you, do you have anybody you need to forgive? Yeah, I forgive, I forgive you. I'll call everybody right now. I'll call a big meeting. I'll take an ad out in the newspaper. Like one of those fictitious business statements, you know. Christian desires to forgive everyone and, 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 and uh, in, your, in your own personal lives there were things and people that I mean right there husband and wife that, where there were issues of forgiveness and love and restoration and, and everything just seemed so almost easy didn't it? I mean because you, you realize that the, the hardest part had been done the big work was done Jesus had died on the cross and rose from the dead and you'd been forgiven your sin. You had no more guilt, no more penalty. Sin had no power over you. You had a sense that you were still going to fall and fail, but that God would go on forgiving you and that you would go on serving Him. And, and then, you know, uh, sadly, life kind of interferes with that excitement. It shouldn't, but it does. And that's why we need reviving. That's why we need to be stirred up. That's why we need to be reminded of these things. Peter, I love Peter. Peter's a great model for ministers. I've been here... 
Well, I've been in Hanford now, I don't know how many years. So I've been here so long, I don't know how long I've been here. 25 years, 26 years. I can't do the math. And sometimes I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. And don't shake your head. Shut up. So do you. You think, man, Gene, you get off of that. And that's why I love Peter so much, because in his epistles, he said, I want to remind you of some things. It's as if Peter said, you know, I only got one bullet in my gun. And I've I got to keep reminding you of this same thing. And if you don't like it, James is coming. <laughs> so people say, all right, yeah, just keep talking to us about it. That's cool. Uh, but anyway, so the whole idea, you know, to be reminded uh, of these things and, and to be so... And so you're a willing slave of God. You can't wait to do the things that God tells you to do. And, and so just... You know, would to God that we would still have that attitude. Maybe most of you have that, and it's just me. That's an old, crusty Christian, you know. But uh, would to God that we would return to that and return to it and return to it again and again and again because uh, it's true. Just whatever the Lord wants us to do, that we would be ready and willing to do. Fruit to holiness. It means that holiness is the fruit you produce. Holiness, simply being set apart for God's use. It's the theological counterpart to calling you a slave. He says you're a slave to God. He says that means that you're set apart to produce fruit unto holiness. You're a slave eager to do his master's will, and his will is for you to be holy as he is holy. Even in nature, fruit is a result. It's a byproduct of other factors. The lemon doesn't have to work hard to be produced. It just is produced because of all the other conditions, because of the condition of the soil and the watering and the the branches and the trunk and all of that, they produce this fruit. And so this is Jesus saying, hey, abide in me. Just abide in me by grace and you will produce fruit. And so Paul is taking these guys on and he's saying, he's saying nobody in their right mind believes that after you get saved you're going to continue to sin or that you'd even want to do that. No, you're going to be pressed into a mold by God, shaped into the form of His Son, Jesus Christ, producing fruit by just abiding with Him, not even really doing anything except walking with the Lord. And he says, the end of it is everlasting life. Your willing slavery, which produces holiness, will one day terminate in everlasting life. And so I'm looking forward to a glorious eternity. The wages of sin is death, the gift of God eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word translated wages describes the pay of the Roman soldier. And so Paul is actually representing sin as a king or, or a, a monarch with sinners as his subjects, his servants, his soldiers who fight under him and for him and all the wages that they expect from that is death. Death is the wages of sin because like the pay of the soldier, it was what was agreed upon in the Garden of Eden. That's the agreed upon payment. God said, in the day you eat of this fruit, you will what? Surely die. And there was an implied agreement. It was like a job description. And, and Adam and Eve signed on for that. And they died. But the gift of God stands in stark contrast to our natural wages. We earn death. We must be given eternal life as a gift. In Christ Jesus our Lord brings us back to a major theme in this chapter. It's not just through Him that we are saved. Although that's true. We are in Him. What happened to him happens to us. He died on the cross. We died on the cross. He rose from the dead in newness of life. We've risen from the dead with a new life. As believers, we've experienced a change of ownership. Sin is no longer my master. God is. I don't have to obey him, but I get to obey him. I really want to obey him. 
Thus I am encouraged to present myself to God, to yield myself to His service. Later in Romans, Paul will say it's the only reasonable thing to do. It's what any reasonable person would do in this situation. And so we say that it is safe to walk by grace and to preach the grace of God. I don't need to obey a set of outward laws or rules or regulations because my heart is set on pleasing the one who set me free from sin. Love is a superior motive to law. It just is. If the Apostle Paul did slogans, I don't know if he did. Maybe. He might have titled his messages with crazy titles, for all I know. But uh, if he did slogans, he might have said, there are no rules, just righteousness. And that makes sense after reading this chapter. There are no rules. There's no rules to follow. And every child of God knows this. You follow your heart in obedience to God. And then you find that you're keeping the law of God. You're not trying to keep it. It's a byproduct. Because you're pleasing the Lord. You want to please Him. You get to please Him. You want to serve Him. You get to serve Him. Because you've been set free from a cruel master not to continue to return to Him for His benefits and His, you know, whatever He could offer you. No, you can't wait to get out of that situation into something better. Hey, we can relate to that just on a regular basis. How many of us, you know, over the years, we, you know, you just you can't wait to get out of your job. Man, I'm just dying in this job. I can't wait to get out of this job and into a better job. It, of course, it turns out the job is never a better job. You know, There's, it just has different problems, you know. But we all understand, you know, we, we don't want to go back to those things that are terrible. And so Paul says, your old life was terrible, and so you've been set free from that. You're not going to go back to it in sin, and if you do, then God, you need to confess it. And God is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and you keep on walking, pressed into this mold, the Christian that God wants you to be. Amen?